You're listening to the Don's Cast, an unofficial fan podcast about the greatest Australian football team, the Essendon Bombers. My name is Jamie. And I'm Nick. And made a horrible game last week against the Cats. And this week's news hasn't been much better if we go through all the different headlines. No, it certainly hasn't, mate. Um, you know, <laughs> we've had, uh, you know, Dean Wallace, like another club champion, uh, sort of pilot on Essendon and... Um, Look, I think in terms of his comments, I think they're sort of bang on again, like as they were with with Lloydie and Romanowskis that we, um, you know, talked about last pod. Um, you know, and one of his um, comments was that you know Essendon has lost its soul, and I think that's a, a really accurate comment, and certainly one that's felt by uh, the Essendon faithful for mine. Uh, and he was saying that, you know. Uh, so former club president Graham McMahon, um, so he was you know the president that was there you know during the Sheedy years, in, including the 2000 premiership. Um, you know, saying, you know, the, the people that spoke to him uh, when he was still alive tell him it was a lifeless environment, um, and that was like his reflections in 2014. So, like it's it's been a long time that um, you know people have been saying these things and. Uh, having concerns, um, and I guess us as fans, like we're always getting sold on on hope, and we always hope it gets better. Uh, but I think people have just uh, been a bit fed up now and taken all they could stand. And um, yeah, I think I'm really hoping that the Essendon, uh, you know, management and and leadership structures uh, take notice of of what's been said by club champions as as well as. Uh, you know, other other media because right now it's it's warranted. Yeah, well, one of his uh, main comments about Graham McMahon said Graham McMahon would never have allowed Essendon to become the place it is now. And uh, Graham McMahon, he was known to be quite ruthless. Um, he, you know, he didn't mind an argument because he really stood up for the, the club and the way he wanted it done. And if he didn't match his vision... Uh, there was definitely arguments, but uh, yeah, we don't have a president like that, and we haven't had one for a long time. You know, Roy Hoysborough was another one that was known to be a bit, you know, edgy, but um, you know, we don't have those. We, we just, uh, you know, we try to be this nice football club, and that's what um, Matthew Lloyd was referring to as well. Like, uh, when you worry so much about your image and how it's perceived by everyone else, um, you don't go just for yourself you're worried oh if that doesn't sound good to say Geelong and Hawthorne and Richmond we better not say that because we might shake the apple card well you know if you're a powerful club that believes in itself you know you don't care about other people's visions of your club and yes we're probably gun shy after the drug saga but um yeah it's definitely led to our club uh just being a shadow of itself and um yeah we we can't say anything more than just say, you know, we're rapidly going downhill, uh, which is a real concern. And, you know, I'd, I'd agree with those comments. It's a lifeless environment. That's how I feel about it because even the players, um, they just don't seem to be playing for the club. Now, I'm sure, you know, there's challenges out there that may be preventing that. Um, there is a little bit of back talk in the background. The players aren't happy with the game plan. Um and and that's how it looks to me. They they look confused. They don't know how to play it. And to me, you know, uh, if Rutten and Carousel are going to be successful, 
they have to spend next uh, pre-season, which won't be long because it's going to be a quick turnaround. Uh, they need to get these players on board, and if they're not, find the players who are because, we, you know, as I said, we're rapidly going downhill. Yeah, mate, and this another quote from, from Wally. Uh, yeah, he sort of said that, you know, he's he's raised his concerns about the culture of the Essendon Football Club previously, uh, and people had talked to him and say, oh, you know, we're turning things around, uh, and that kind of thing. And one of Wally's quotes was like, look, that's all good and well, uh, but I've heard so many words. So of the Essendon members and fans who are passionate about this club, who haven't seen a finals win for 15 years, and they're all words until you can show it out on the footy field. So I thought that was... Uh, yeah, a really um, solid, solid quote that you know, really hits um, hits Essendon between the eyes um, because you know we do just hear uh, a lot of words. Really, I mean, even listening to Xavier Campbell uh, the other day, I, I personally found that pretty disappointing um, because while at the start of that interview with uh, with Jared and that he sort of said, "Oh no, we can't accept that." You know, it wasn't a um, that's not what we stand for, that first half of footy. Um, it's it's like he was limiting the poor performance to the first half. Like Obviously, that was the, the worst of the performance, but you couldn't say we were much better in that second half for mine. And certainly, the problem isn't limited to that one game and that one half. Um, you know, it's been like over years, but like certainly over the last, you know, seven, eight weeks, we haven't really put in consistent performances um, and the fact that he's gone back you know when Jared um, uh, sort of you know, asked him the question and said look you know where, where is Essendon at as a footy club because we're confused you're telling us we're building um, whereas you know we can see on the field it's not working um, we've gone out and made statements we've uh, said we're going to get uh, very good, very soon. Um, we have traded in Sheil, Smith, Stringer, Saad, uh, which is a statement of intent to say we, we reckon our, our list is getting there. Um, but the obviously the on-field performances aren't improving. And Xavier's reflected, oh, you know, when John Worsfold started at the club in 2016, you know, it wasn't ideal in circumstances. Um and he sort of said that, you know, making finals in uh, yeah last year, 2019, well, that, that shows a developing club. Well, Jesus, mate, we got pumped. Um, sorry for the expletive there, mate, but um, there's no other way of saying it. We, there, It wasn't a contest, uh, if I'm completely honest. But, yeah, like they're, they're just words, Xavier. And uh, certainly as, as fans, we've heard them for a long time, mate, and we're, we're pretty sick of them. Yeah, it's just uh, so disappointing where we are. Um, I guess uh, you know this news has been compounded a little bit. We've uh, you know lost Connor McKenna. He's uh, decided to retire, and he's had a difficult year personally, and also you know from a club wise. And you know I think that speaks in volumes too. Like yes, he was homesick, but you know did we do did we make an environment where he wanted to stay? I don't think so. Um, I know COVID nineteen's really been a uh, probably amplified that due to you know having to go to the hub and you know, he didn't have any normality, but and neither does any player in the AFL at the moment. So um, yeah, Connor's gone and uh, you know twenty four years of age. Uh, you know even last year he's fourth in the best and fairest. 
uh, that's a massive loss, I think. And um, yes, his heart wasn't here, and you know you wish him all the best. Uh, but to me, it's a missed opportunity because uh, we certainly played our best footy last year when him and Saad were up and going. And for some reason this year, even when he was available, we never used him the way we should, and uh, that led to a worse, uh, you know, worse performance. Maybe it was a, st- uh, a case of Connor saying, "No, if I'm going to stay, I, I want to play forward." And maybe the club did try to make some concessions to get him to, you know, you know, consider and reconsider and maybe stay at the Bombers. But ultimately, it didn't work. Uh, he's going home. I'll, I'll listen to his uh, you know, little interview through AFC, and um, you know, he gave a little bit of a carrot that maybe in a couple of years' time he might come back. Um, but yeah, to me, you know, 24 years of age, he could have been ready to go to the next step and uh, you know have uh, you know, his prime years, and uh, we've lost that now. And you know, and then there's uh, the Dyson Heppel injury. Uh, we've heard that. Uh, he's redone that ankle again. Well, he's got aggravation due to a screw in his uh, in that same ankle that he's had problems with for the last eighteen months, and you know he just can't get him on the park. And to me, um, you know, if you've got no, uh, if you need surgery again on the same injury, that's uh, alarm bells ringing. And to me, I think the club will have to seriously consider. Selecting a new captain going into 2021. Yeah, mate. Um, just going back to Connor McKenna, I think it was sort of interesting when they asked him, you know, what was the hardest thing about saying goodbye to the football club? And, like, obviously, as a player, yeah, so it's um, yeah, saying goodbye to your, your close mates at the club. Um, but, you know, there was nothing there that said to me that he enjoyed the culture of the Essendon Football Club. Um, uh, you know, there was... Because he said it was like a, sort of an easy decision for him to make because he, he wanted to go home um, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I think you like that point you raised before about him, um, you know, not enjoying the environment at the club. Um, like certainly that that interview told me that um, that could be the case. Um, and I th- personally, I feel, you know, him saying, oh, maybe in a couple of years' time he'll return to the AFL. That's probably more keeping his options open rather than, um, you know, looking to come back to the Essendon Football Club. I mean, if he came back, I I dare say he'd he'd be open to any and all offers. Um, that's that's just my read of it, um, because I'm I'm not sure. Um, you know how how much in love with the football club uh, he'll be, particularly like some of those relationships he, he sort of talked about. You know, your, your Raz and and things like that. You know, we don't even know if, if Raz will be at the footy club. Um, you know, next year, whether he's asked for a trade or not. So, look, um, I do wish Connor well. Um, you know, he he developed, um, you know, ridiculously well for us. I don't think anyone uh, could have predicted just how uh, important a cog in the machine he, he became for us, like for that half-back. Um, to come fourth in the Crichton is a, um, is a massive achievement. And... Um, yeah, definitely wish him well going back to Ireland. Uh, yeah, play Gaelic footy, or uh, as he said, you know, to get a job for the first time, or start uni again. So, um, you know, he's lucky. He's young enough; he can rebuild his life. Um, but a, a huge loss to the Essendon Football Club. Um, with Dyson Heppel, yeah, I mean, we were sort of discussing this earlier, Jamin. Um, 
you know, when it's, I think he said it was the third or fourth time he's needed, needed um, surgery on that ankle and it's that same area. And you, yeah, you do have to worry, Jesus, is this, um, like, is he going to get right? Um, it's uh, a difficult proposition because obviously Heppel is now, what is he, 28, uh, 29 or so. Um, and, um, yeah, will that injury be able to um, sort of heal in time um, to allow him to get back, um, you know, next year? And at what stage? Um, because, you know, at his, like at his best, he's a really important player for us um, and we'll certainly miss him around the park. But, um, yeah, I think you're right in terms of our leadership structures. We've certainly um, yeah, got to look at it and um, and who we want to, to lead the club going forward because it doesn't look like Heppel will be able to be out in the park um, for some time to come. Yeah, well, uh, obviously they've got, he's probably got five or six months to get right over the pre-season, but it's not just getting yourself right, it's then getting the fitness and volume into yourself to be able to perform. And um, I think worrying for us is that if uh, we took the leadership off him just you know, for so he can focus on his body, to me there's no one standing out as the heir, heir apparent. Um, you know, probably Andy McGrath shows the most leadership, but you're not going to give it to him at this stage of, the, of his career. Um, so, you know, Zach Merritt, who was strangely omitted from the leadership group, to me would be uh, the person that, if I had to make a change, um, that he would probably be most considered. And when you think about it, that's quite damning. He's not even in your leadership group, and he's probably... Uh, your next choice as captain. Um, I couldn't see Dylan Shield taking on the role. Couldn't see Dev Smith. Um, you know, uh, you know, David Zarakis isn't going to do it. Michael Hurley's not going to be. You know, he's not. Um, you know, why put a captain in for a year? You know, when he's in the back end of his career. So uh, probably when you look at his age and so forth, Zach Merritt's probably the the one that maybe would be the most likely, but. As I said, as it is with the club, we don't stand for much because, you know, uh, the amount of swapping and changes out of the leadership group the last few years has just been quite puzzling. You know, you had Hooker and Hurley in one year and then they were admitted and in a desperate attempt, I think, it looked like to, um, you know, give Fantasia and Danaher love of the club. They gave them leadership roles and, um, yes, Danaher was injured injured and... Um, you know, so was Arazio, but like both of them didn't continue in the leadership, so then they were moved out. Uh, then you found Hurley back, then Zarakis was out, then he was back in, and um, yeah, it's just been, you know, no conviction. And to me, that kind of represents the Essendon Football Club, but currently we don't stick with plans, we don't develop our players to the, to the extent um, that they get to the next level and... Yeah, you know, I know we've been quite dour, but let's be honest, it's been a very uh, you know, horrible year to watch. And uh, I guess, you know, sometimes you just like to see a bit of hope, as you say, mate. That's what the club sells us. But I haven't had a sense of hope for a long time um, this season. And even going into next year, um, you know, subject to uh, not acquiring some, you know, 
some talent onto the park. Uh, you know, I don't have great aspirations for next year. I think uh, even next year, uh, taking into account where our side's at, I don't see a, a rapid jump coming. No, mate. Um, and, you know, you obviously don't know whether it's true or not, but there are rumours that like, Zach Merritt coming out of the leadership group was actually part of, you know, of this sort of player voting who you want your captain to be um, because, you know, there was perceptions by some that Zach Merritt was too hard on the other players. He was, he was too demanding. Um, and I think that's a pretty big indictment if it's true um, because, you know, that's what you want. You want a, you want a captain to, to drive standards and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're right, mate. Like at the moment, Zach Merritt probably stands out to be the, uh, the leader uh, we need at this point in time. Um, and I just want to sort of talk about the, the article from um, Mick McGuan because, uh, look, it, it does, um, you know, speak to, um, you know, the, the culture of the club and how outsiders are, are seeing it because while we're getting sold this, this vision from the <clears throat> the SNN leadership, um, you know, it's, it doesn't, ring true with what we're actually seeing on the park um you know one of the things that um you know mick mcguan uh points out as we did last pod mate is you know um you know why is it john worsfold who holds the title of a coach um you know he's responsible for um you know the the day-to-day messaging with dealing with media um and that kind of thing Whereas, you know, if, if Frighten's going to be our future, well, why isn't he, you know, front and centre, um, you know, after match conferences and, and, and stuff like that? Um, like, he needs to be, like, as uh, McGuan said, he needs to be conditioned to answering the hard questions uh, for next year and indeed this year because we've got to get a sense of the club where we're, where we're at truly. Um, and, you know, there's quite a number of... Um, points that are that just hit the nail on the head um like we're a bit delusional um you know with he says like after the morning from geelong uh xavier campbell urged fans to allow the group more time to implement rutten's game plan like come on mate um like if if your role as coach is to you know bring in a game plan and and uh sort of get get buy-in from the players uh and we haven't seen that well, that's that's your failure as coach, um, because everyone should be getting on board. And it's a um, this is that thing where we're we're not consistent in where we are. Like everyone needs to be aligned to the one vision. Um, you know, this is what uh, I think Bomber Thompson has reflected on his Geelong days. You know, from the from the bottom up, everyone was aligned that you know if they were going to be a premiership winning side, they all needed to be on the same page. Um, and that's certainly not the case. At Essendon, um, that disconnect between the coaches' messaging and, and how they want the the players to play and how the players are buying in, and, and I, I don't think that the players are buying in. Um, so there's obviously some internal conflict there, uh, which they need to, to iron out. Um, and um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff in there that it hurts to read. Um, as Essendon fans, like even talking about membership numbers, you know, we've dropped something like, 
I think it's eleven or twelve thousand. And that was eighteen, mate. Oh, eighteen thousand, yeah, since last yeah. year, which is something like twenty five percent or or even more of our total membership base. Uh, have dropped this year. Look, obviously, COVID's a factor there, um, where people are unable to, um, you know, uh, you know, sustain their membership. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we had the Back Obama campaign where there were thousands of dollars um, sort of put into that to, you know, help um, other members maintain their memberships. Um, but we still lost. 18,000 and you have to think that's because you know people are just tired of the same old crap being rolled out and there is when it's when it is like that it's hard to to keep up hope um you know for us rusted on Essendon fans like we'll we'll be there day in day out back in the boys um but you know it's it's hard I personally find it um hard um, as a dad trying to sell to my kids that um, oh no, Essendon's a, a great club and everything like that. When when every week, hey dad, what happened to the Bombers? Oh, we lost again. So <laughs> yeah, you um like the unfortunate thing is like you lose this amount of members, and it's not just in the numbers that it um, it reflects. It's um, like as uh, Scooter McNeese and others have um, sort of mentioned. It, you're losing generations potentially um, of kids wanting to support the Essendon Football Club, and they're going to be your membership base um, into the future. So, if you can't sell hope to those kids and um, you know get them back in the Bombers, you're you're really up against it when you're then trying to say, "Nah, come on, jump on board. We're going to be great." Um, yes, yeah, it's really hard to to see as an Essendon fan. Yeah, no, it is. Um, another thing that concerned me, um, you know, we'll get to reading the side out, but uh, the baffling decision to drop Kale Hooker, um, you know, that just makes no sense to me at all. Uh, you know, the guy played his 200th game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you played him up forward in a team that's not getting the ball into their forward line. Uh, last week, he was asked to play in Hawkins in the second half and actually... You know, held him to a one goal in the second half. Now, I know Geelong didn't play as impressively as the first half um, in the second half, but he still uh, provided a contest. And you're going up against Charlie Dixon this week. So you drop Hooker and you're leaving it for, you know, Zerk Thatcher, Ridley. These guys are going to give him about 30 kilos. And, you know, I, I'm dreading uh, if he gets good delivery. Uh, what's going to happen today? Because uh, with no hooker, no Hurley, uh, you've taken away your big-bodied, um, you know, defenders, and yeah, uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, Dixon's going to love, you know, playing on undersized players, and yeah, uh, again, another baffling decision. Uh, Listen to uh, the Patreon podcast from the lunchtime catch-up, and Scott made an interesting point, and you know, made me think, you know, when he mentioned it. He said it almost seems tactical. It's almost like to get Hooker... Yeah, I don't want to para-quote para him here, but he, he said it's almost like it's a tactical ploy to you know, get Kale Hooker to reconsider where he is in footy and um, either consider to go to another club or you know, consider has he got another year in him. And if that's true, that's quite damning because uh, Kale Hooker is stuck with us uh, through thick and thin. 
Um, I know we put him on the trade table many years ago to try and get Josh Caddy. Um, and even despite that, the next year when he was in the better position, he had offers to go to the Eagles and the Dockers, and he stuck with us. After the drug saga, he stuck with us, and this is how we repay. And to me, this is again another reason how Essendon don't look after their players in terms of their development and also you know, just getting them to embrace the club. You know, to me, I'd be really upset if I'm Carl Hooker that you're dropping me, unless there's a story behind the, the dropping. I don't know what it would be, but um, to me, it just seems disrespectful. Absolutely, mate. And the bloke's just played his 200th game for the club. Uh, so he's a he's a club champion. You, oh, I don't know. I found that really baffling as well, like the omission. Um, because after all he's given the SM Football Club... And let's be honest, let's look at last week's game. We played him up forward for majority where we obviously weren't getting a lot of entry because we, um, like, the cat shut us down, really. Um, and, you know, in the back half, you know, after Hawkins had already kicked a number of goals, then we chucked Hooker back there. And I thought um, Hooker held Hawkins pretty well after that point. Um, but to be omitted, um, that's just a... Oh, for mine, it's a ridiculous decision from the club. And you, as you say, mate, it's, I really hope it isn't the case that we're sending a message to Hooker to uh, to move on, mate, because he's uh, he's been an absolute legend for us. You know, throughout like all these years at the Essendon Football Club, he's been one of those players you can say he wears his heart on his sleeve. He he bleeds for the Essendon Football Club. Um, he's done everything for us, you know. When we needed a forward, he went down there and he kicked 40-odd goals for the season. Um, when we'd need him back, you know, he's an all-Australian defender. So what more can a bloke give you? And this is the thanks you give him. Um, so, look, let's hope we're, we're wrong and, and that's not um, how the Essendon Football Club is treating him because that would certainly be very disappointing. Well, to me, mate, uh, if... If you were dropping him on form, right, you don't have to announce that to the whole footy public. You know, he's he's getting on. You could definitely, you know, put in a manage next to his name. But to me, it seems to be the club's made an excessive way of making a point. Uh, he's dropped. And, you know, again, it's just disrespectful. Um, you know, if, uh, if Kale was having a shocking, you know, four or five weeks, then you maybe side with him. But... Like, think of where he's been positioned to play. Um, what more could he have done to, you know, make his form look dramatically better? Uh, well, getting the ball into the forward 50 would have helped. But um, to me, like, it's just another, you know, example of this club having, you know, very poor direction. And, you know, the way we must be perceived on the outside, I don't hold any hope, any, you know, notable free agent would want to come to the Bombers under the, you know, current regime. And, you know, this club really needs a rocket. Um, you know, the new president coming in, Paul Brasher, he's known to be quite, um, you know, a quiet kind of a person. Uh, you know, we hardly hear from our president this year. I think it's going to be more of the same. And, you know, to me, we need a real figurehead and that's why I would support almost, you know, someone coming to the club, you know, 
with a bit of a ticket and trying to, you know, set up something that had a bit of meaning. And I think they'd get many, many uh, supporters on board. Uh, I know there's a reluctance to do that because it does destabilise the club. But let's face it, look where we're at now. Um, this club needs a rocket and it needs someone who's going to, um, you know, drive standards uh, from the top down. And, you know, Xavier Campbell, he's been a great CEO in terms of finances. Um, you know, the challenges he's had and be able to get us back, um, you know, prior to this year, you know, in the, you know, getting down our debt and, um, you know, signing sponsor after sponsor. But Xavier, that doesn't really give your um, supporters or members any fulfilment. Um, you know, it's great for the club that you're viable, but it doesn't give us the comfort to know that we're a club on the rise. Um, we've seen over the last, you know, well, 15 years, but let's just say in, in Xavier's time, in the last seven or eight years, um, you know, we've seen little spurts of hope, but, you know, we never we never stand for anything for too long. Um, and we just, you know, never been able to get to the next step. And, you know, the club has to review itself and say, why? Why can't we do it? What What's preventing us from, you know, going forward? Why Why can clubs like, you know, St Kilda, Brisbane, uh, these clubs are leapfrogging us um and you know our players we've got some uh younger players that's for sure but you look at our, some of our better players that you know they're now 28 29 30 31 so you know you're looking at heppel hurley hooker um you know i know zarakis has fallen off the tree but he was another one these players are all going to be gone within you know maybe two or three years uh at max like um and you know who's the next ones coming through? Current on current form, I don't see anyone, you know, like a, a hooker or a Hurley or a, um, you know, coming through. And, and um, you know, with respect to Zerk Thatcher, um, you know, he's, he looks a bit promising, but he doesn't have the same promise that uh, Hooker and Hurley had when they were younger. Oh, I don't know. I think I think um, Zerk Thatcher can be a very good player, but I mean, for mine, for his development, like. He needs blokes like Hooker around the club to to teach him the the, space, the spaces he needs to work and and how to shut down a um, you know a forwards uh, lead and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think there's a real player in in Zerk Thatcher and certainly Ridley has shown he's a real tall, strong unit. Um, so you know as his body begins to fill out and that kind of thing, I, I'm hoping he can sort of you know fill a um, you know, a role like a Hurley or whether um, Francis takes over that kind of role. But, you know, his problems obviously is, uh, uh, you know, ability to stay out on the park and, and stay fit. Um, in terms of other selection things, I just wanted to touch on Mason Redmond. Like, he's also omitted from the side. Um, it's sort of reminiscent to me of when we kept, you know, bringing in and then dropping Langford. Um, and we saw like he had, he had a real lack of confidence. You know, this is going back a year or two ago, um, because you know everyone expected big things of him, but we kept dropping him. So he had no no confidence when he was in the side, um, which just leads to poorer performances. And it looks like we're doing the same with Mason Redmond. Like I've I've said over the 
the course of the season. I think there's a real player in Mason Redmond. Yes, he's been down in games. Um, he's lacked that competitive edge at times. Um, but I, I think he's actually uh, one of the few backs we've got that shows um, that sort of physical element to his game. Like, he doesn't mind getting in there and doing the hard stuff. Um, but, you know, whatever we're doing behind the scenes, obviously isn't um, sort of working for him. I just find it baffling that you know, at this stage of the season, when, let's be honest, we're, we're no chance to, to make finals, I would have imagined you just back him in, um, play your role, hopefully develop some confidence going into next year um, because he is a player that has, I think he has a lot of talent. I think he's got a really good kick. Um, he's a, a taller option. Um, he's got a lot of run in him so he can run along the wings if you need. Um but why you you drop him as opposed to a Marty Gleason, um, who for mine you know hasn't um, hasn't value added uh, you know that much. These dinky little handballs um, that he sort of handballs out, and I'm not blaming Marty Gleason because we all know he like he's he's doing the best he can. He's just a bloke down on form and down on confidence. But I just find the the decision to to drop Redmond. Um, yeah, just a bit baffling for mine. And another thing is uh, just a lack of conviction the club has on its list at the moment as well. Still uh, no signings at all for next year for the players uncontracted. Uh, now that's To me, that's damning. You can't even prioritise an Andy McGrath or an Adam Sard. Um, we're still waiting on Jordan Ridley. Um, these players still haven't signed contracts. And, you know... Before you know it, you're going to be in the most, uh, you know, probably the most active, uh, you know, free agency and trading uh, period coming up. Uh, you know, you're leaving yourself vulnerable. And to not have the conviction to say, you know, Andy, here's a four-year deal. We we see you, uh, you being a future leader. Um, you know, what money you require, you know, we'll make sure it works, you know, it's multiple, you know, it's mutual and it helps um, both parties, but we want you signed. You know, you've left him unsigned at this stage. Adam Saad, we're, we're hearing rumours, more and more clubs, you know, think he's gettable out of Essendon. Now, that would be terrible for an Essendon football club because with Conor McKenna going, imagine you lost McKenna and Saad, you know, there goes your run off your back line. And um, the fact that uh, the talk was that Saad was getting pretty close to signing a four-year deal much earlier in the season, and then uh, the COVID come up and Essendon got cold feet, and it kind of rubbed Adam Saad up the wrong way, apparently. And we're now waiting to see if um, those talks can actually come to fruition. Um, but it sounds like... You know, you know, reading between the lines, uh, Saad was a little bit in, insulted um, because they got a fair way down the, the path of uh, re-signing and then Essendon pulled away. Now, we understand that the footy club's got to be responsible and know what the salary cap is, and I know the AFL's made clubs wait. But let's face it, uh, other clubs have signed their players. Um, you know, the key players, they're not giving other clubs the opportunity to jump in. And when you've got a bad environment, by all reports, uh, the players are even saying that to um, you know their loved ones, and uh, that's the reports anyway. Um, you got disrest. Uh, what happens is is that that leaves them open for opportunities elsewhere, and 
the club because uh, it doesn't stand for anything at the moment. Uh, hasn't been strong enough to even give us a good news story of uh, yeah, Ridley signs a four-year deal. You know, in all this doom and gloom, uh, it would be great to get a news or a you know an email on you know we've signed up Jordan Ridley and Andy McGrath and Adam Sard. Like you know, in a bad year, I, I'd take that good news at the moment, but we're not getting those kind of emails and the club's not you know making the signings that we need. Nah, the only emails we're getting made is uh you know. <laughs> buy some more of our of our kit um so yeah but um all right so we've probably gone on um enough for that um so i'll, I'll read out the side as it's named um so out uh hooker and redman omitted uh and then on the injury list uh so you've got dyson heppel irving mosquito and michael hurley so let's hope those boys um you know can rest up get the surgery they need or or whatever, and um, you yeah, know, recover, and hopefully, uh, you know, get into the season next year as early as we can get them. Uh, and into the side comes Phillips, Braden Ham, Joe Danaher, Mitchell Hibbard, and Tom Cutler. So if I go from the uh, fullback, so we got Jordan Ridley, uh, Brandon Zerk Thatcher, and Marty Gleeson. Halfbacks of Adam Saad, Devin Smith, and Mitch Hibbard. The centres, you got Tom Cutler, Zach Merritt, and Kyle Langford. Half forwards of Jakey Stringer, Joe Danaher, Braden Ham. Forward line of Will Snelling, James Stewart, and Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. With the followers, Sam Draper, Dylan Shield, and Jacob Townsend. On the bench, we've got Phillips, Guelphy, Dylan Clark, and Darcy Parrish. With the emergencies of Josh Begley, Mason Redman, Kyle Hooker, and Kobe March. Uh, still baffles me to see Hooker as an emergency. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But um, on other talk of that um, of that team name, mate, there was a bit of talk that James Stewart was training with the back line. So maybe he's got the role of taking on a Charlie Dixon. Um, that'd be a rough initiation, wouldn't it? You've been a forward, and they're, they're trying to convert you to a back on one of the most powerful forwards in the comp. Um yeah, so we'll see if James Stewart is used down back. I think, you know, on the side named, you know, you couldn't, you know, you may be backing Zerk Thatcher to have a go at it, but he's going to be overpowered. And, you know, if that's the way the club's going to go and, you know, try and, you know, a Joker card and, and put James Stewart onto, um, you know, Charlie Dixon's going to be a very interesting uh, afternoon. Uh, yeah. And just some of the names, mate, coming in, you know, we decided to play the two Ruckman, Draper and Phillips. We haven't seen that all year um, in in those two combining. Um, you know, obviously, Bell Chambers and Francis still couldn't get up. You wonder if uh, Francis and... Uh, sorry, uh, Bell Chambers will get a farewell game maybe next week in his last game because by all reports he's going to retire. But... um. Yeah, two Ruckman uh, in Phillips and Draper. That'll be interesting. Um, you know, Cutler hasn't been able to cut it this year so far. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it seems like a strange decision to bring him in and leave Redmond out, um, considering, you know, Redmond has shown plenty for us in the past. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, those inclusions don't fill me that much hope, mate, to be honest. No, they don't. And just on Stewart, I mean, if if he is going to be playing on Dixon, 
that that does worry me because while he's got the size, we we've noted over the years while um, James Stewart is a massive unit, he's not the most physical player. Um, but whereas Charlie Dixon, he'll he'll tear him apart uh, if they play on each other. Uh, that's just my honest assessment. Um, yeah, in terms of some of the, I mean, I know they they always switch the uh, the markers around and where you named, you know, on the uh, bit of paper isn't necessarily where you'll be playing. Um, but to have Mitch Hibbert off a halfback um, baffles me again. Like, oh, we've got a big body mid. Where are we going to play him? Oh, half back line. Um, it's like the reverse Dodoro strategy of uh, turning half backs into mids. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is really um, yeah, baffling. Uh, with the two rucks, yeah, that's. I sort of said it last week, but. I, that's seriously the option I would have considered against um, West Coast. Uh, I'm not sure how effective it'll be against Port, but I guess we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad option because um, you know both Draper and, and Phillips are quite mobile units, uh, and we've certainly seen uh, the last game Phillips played. He uh, sort of drifted down back, and I thought he was uh, he was pretty good down back there. He uh, contested well, make sure he shut out some of those forward entries. Uh, at the time, so uh, perhaps that's the sort of role Phillips will play, like you know, pinch hitting in, in the ruck and then going back. Um, so I guess we'll we'll see about that. As for Tommy Cutler, yeah, well, he'd, he'd really want to um, put in his best effort because he um, yeah he certainly hasn't um, shown what he's capable of this year. Um, you know, in that you know Mick McGuan. Um, article he sort of mentioned Cutler to say look you know Brisbane sort of noted he wasn't um, sort of hard enough and, and that's a reason why he didn't get a lot of games there whereas we saw the athlete in him and there's no doubt he is a bit of an athlete um, but being an athlete means nothing if, you, if you're if you not willing to get in there and, and win the footy um, so uh, that's the area of, um, of his game that Cutler needs to work on so let's hope he's done that over that uh, time he's been out of the side um, but I mean, honestly, mate, when I look at the side named uh, against Port, uh, it does worry me. I think we could be up for a big loss here. Yeah. Uh, you want to read the Port side, mate? Yeah, no worries. So out for them, uh, Cam Sutcliffe uh, omitted, uh, Ryan Burton injured, and Zach Butters uh, suspension. Uh, and into the side come Brad Ebert, Peter Laddams, and Riley Bonner. So... Um, yeah, if we go from the full-back line, so you got Riley Bonner, Trent McKenzie, and Dan Houston. Half-backs of Hamish Hartlett, Tom Jonas, and Darcy Byrne-Jones. Centres of Xavier Dersma, Ollie Wines, Carl Amon. Half-forward line of Sam Powell Pepper, Todd Marshall, Brad Ebert. Forward line of Connor Rosie, Charlie Dixon, and Robbie Gray. The followers of Scott Lysette, Tom Rockliffe, Travis Boak. The bench, they've got Peter Adams, Kane Farrell, uh, Stephen Motlop, Tom Cleary, with the emergencies of Miles Bergman, Cam Sutcliffe, Jared Linett, and Boyd Woodcock. Yeah, the forward line looks pretty imposing. Uh, you know, talking about players like Rosie and um, Robbie Gray. And, you know, I'd say before the game, you would say put Sard on. Robbie Gray, you know, he's a game winner. Um, 
but I'm almost half expecting to see Gleeson right next to him. You know what I mean? Like, that's the mm. kind of decisions we've been making this year. Uh, you know, we, we don't always put the best match up first. It's like a, a our second option, basically. Oh, if we're getting smashed, we better put the right match up on them now, you know, rather than trying to impose ourselves early in the game. And um, we've seen during the week that our average scores in first quarters, seven points. Um you know, this is for the last 10 weeks or so. So, mate, I don't know about you, but um, I, I certainly want to see more than one goal in the first quarter and, um, you know, preferably more. And, you know, at the moment, uh, we're not starting games well. You know, we're not playing throughout games very well. But, um, yeah, this is going to be a real test for us. Um, you know, Port at top of the ladder for a reason. Uh, and you look at the season, um, how well, you know, Geelong, Richmond, West Coast, uh, all these play, all these clubs, Brisbane, they they've had good seasons, but still Port, you know, could be a game out in front. So that shows you their level of consistency. And one thing about Port this year is they uh, usually beat up on the sides they're supposed to, and that's quite ominous coming into this game. Yeah, it is, mate. Um, and it's that ability to play four quarters of footy. Um, that we just haven't shown that consistency, whereas Port have this year. And certainly when they get a run on, they really um, make the most of their opportunities. they got some really classy users of the footy and also some some real competitors that just, you know, scrap and fight. Um, you know, blokes like Powell Pepper, Ollie Wines, uh, you know, Brad Ebert, Travis Boak. Um, you know, they, these blokes, they, they just want to win uh, and it's at all costs. Uh, so... That's the kind of conviction I wish um, the Essendon Football Club had. Um, so, yeah, it'll be pretty scary for us, um, you know, particularly, um, you know, even their, their tools are, um, yeah, pretty good quality. Like Todd Marshall, he's um, continuing to uh, to grow as a, as a, uh, as a really talented uh, tool and, Obviously, Scott Lysett is no um, is no mug, um, and then yeah, just everywhere they've got um, good users like Dersma, um, you know Hamish Hartlett, uh, sort of coming up. Um, yeah, they've got uh, they've got class all over the ground. As much as it pains me to say, uh, Port Port are definitely uh, one of my least favourite sides, mate. Um, but yeah, I think we. Uh, yeah, it could be in for a, a bit of a rough day. Yeah, Port's one of the sides I don't like that often, uh, especially after they pinched uh, Wanganeen office. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, in their first year. <laughs> they pinched, not a good way to welcome yourselves to the Essendon fans, but I guess they didn't care about that. But, um, yeah, look, it's going to be a tough game uh, regardless. We know that. Um there's not much uh, more in terms of matchups uh, I can think of, mate, that are worth going into right now. So I was thinking maybe having a break and coming back with our Remember When segment. Beauty, mate. We'll uh, be back after the break. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Don's Cast, and uh, as we return, we uh, do our Remember When segment. Mate, what year are you going back to? I'm going back to round 23, 2011, James. How about yourself? 
Now I'm going back to around 16, 2014. Oh, beauty. Excellent. All right, well, I'll get things underway, mate. So, look, I spoke about the 2011 season uh, last time, so I won't go into that too much. But, you know, by round 23, we'd managed to sneak into the eight, uh, but needed the win in this last round to stay there with North Melbourne breathing down our necks to take that uh, sort of eighth position on the ladder. It was actually interesting at the time uh, as Port had the wood over us winning the last six contests between our two sides. Now, going into the game, uh, Port started quickly with a goal to Jay Schultz uh, and nearly backed it up minutes later, but fortunately he missed. After an interchange blunder by Port, where the players uh, sort of didn't sub off the correct painted area of the ground, uh, the Dons were able to get the footy, and that led to a goal from David Hill. Down the other end, Dom Cassisi kicked a classy snap through for Port before we hit the front with goals to Dyson Heppel and Jake Carlisle. Port retook the lead, though, after goals to Robbie Gray and Jay Schultz, and again, Jay Schultz was inaccurate, as he uh, could have kicked another, and the Bombers took advantage to kick the last two goals of that quarter through David Zaharakis and Jake Carlisle to have us leading the game at quarter time, five goals, one thirty-one to Port's four goals, uh, four goals, five twenty-nine. Port came out fighting in the second, though, with a miss to Robbie Gray before Stephen Salopek kicked one through. But then the Bombers were able to take control with goals to Jeddah, two to Michael Hurley after taking a couple of the nice grabs, and a nicely crumbed goal to Alwyn Davey to have us 20 points up before Port came back um, with two goals to John Butcher. And then another missed shot by Jay Schultz. Um, now down our end, we had a couple of missed opportunities through McVeigh and Alwyn Davey before Port wrestled control of the match office with two goals to Robbie Gray and one more to John Butcher to take the halftime lead by eight points. So we were five goal, uh, nine goals, five, 59 to their 10 goals, seven, 67. Port again came out firing in the third, but were inaccurate with a goal each to Robbie Gray and Cameron O'Shea, but misses to Ebert, Banner and Westhoff before Hurley steadied uh, for the Bombers with a goal. We then had a mini period of dominance, but were unable to capitalise. We had five of the next six scoring shots, uh, which were all behinds to Ryder, Jetta, Stanton and Monfries, while Robbie Gray had caught fire and slammed through his fifth goal of the match to have them leading by 16 points going into the last change. They didn't seem to be slowing down either, and after seven minutes of play, Port had scored three goals to be leading by 34 points and seemed to have the game all but sewn up but the Bombers weren't done. We kicked some quick goals through Ryder, and then Collier, who burst through the centre and pumped the ball forward from 50 metres out to go through. And then Kyle Remus kicked one, before Jetta marked the ball in the goal square and kicked it through to have us only 10 points down. We had a couple of missed shots, but we were on a rampage and weren't slowing down. Davey kicked a set shot from a tight angle, before Hurley and Monfries kicked one each, almost straight in front, uh, to have us sort of leading the game. Now, Mitchell Banner was able to get one last consolation goal for Port down at their end, uh, but the Bombers had won by seven points. We kicked 17 goals, 18, 120, to Port 17 goals, 11, 113. For mine, it was a great comeback uh, victory, so that sort of come from behind, and um, yeah, but really any game where we beat Port is a bloody good one for me. Oh yeah, I remember that game, and um, yeah, we looked all all but gone, and uh, showed some incredible fight, and 
yeah, that last quarter was exhilarating. And uh, I remember coming out of that game, you know, being really pumped, um, you know, seeing us put a really good quarter together and uh, gave us our finals hopes um, as we left the stadium. Uh, my game's back to round 16, uh, 2014. Um, Essendon were just outside the eight. Um, you know, Port were in there and um, uh, in and about, and uh, the game was over in Adelaide. So, you know, we really needed this game to give ourselves a, uh, you know, a, a good chance of making the finals. Um, you know, fortunately, Jake Carlisle got the first goal, only a minute in. Um, so that was a great way to start. And Port had the ball down their end a fair bit, but, you know, they were missing a lot of their shots. Um, at the time, Jay Schiltz was um, in front of the Coleman, and uh, he kicked Port's first goal to give him the lead uh, before a couple of misses from us. And then um, Jackson Merritt got a bit of a snap and put us back in front. Quarter time, we're up by a goal. The second quarter was, uh, you know, was going to be pretty pivotal because, um, you know, we didn't want Port to get that run on in front of their home crowd, and um, you know, Paddy Ryder missed the first shot at goal, but that was followed by the Hines to Wingard and Hartlett, and um, you know, fortunately, the next goal came through Dave Myers, who um, you know, got the ball about forty-five meters out and threw it on his boot, and it went through. Uh, that was replied by Jay Shields, who got the next goal uh, for Port. And again, it was only a goal the difference. But to finish off the quarter, uh, we got goals from Goddard, Ambrose and Ryder. And we had a 24-point lead at um, half-time. And, you know, we were playing very good football uh, against Port at their home ground. Uh, the third quarter started and Matt White, was uh, able to get the first goal for Port, but that was quickly answered by Jake Carlisle, and you know the the score was status quo. We're still twenty four points. Um, Joe Danaher uh, missed for the second time that match, and um, that was followed by a Travis Travis Collier uh, miss. And you thought, um, you know, we were missing some opportunities to you know put put Port away. Uh, Robbie Gray got a goal for Port. And then basically, you know, for the rest of the quarter, it was one of those quarters where, you know, about seven or eight minutes of footy were just a couple of points and that was it. No um, no one was scoring and, you know, we, we had that 16-point lead going into the last quarter. Uh, I talked about the importance of winning this game. Uh, it was certainly challenged because Jay Schiltz kicked, uh, sorry, kicked his third goal and, um, you know, before we knew it, it was only a 10-point game. And then Port had the next three shots at goal, but they were all behinds. And that um, got the result, yeah, you got the um, margin back to seven points. So it looked like we were trailing a little bit. Uh, you know, Brett Stan uh, tried to get a goal, but he missed and you know, had eight point lead. And then Travis Boak stepped up for Port and got a goal. So the game was really on a knife's edge. That's when Dyson Heppel gathered the ball around. 35 metres, he was under pressure by three port players, but he, you know, chucked the boot, chucked the ball on the boot on an angle, and it just went through beautifully. It was a really important goal, um, and you know, that put us up by eight points. But there's still, you know, 13 minutes of footy left, and 
because of the dewy night and it was a night game and uh, dewy conditions, it was a bit of a scrap from there on. Um, Port got a very late goal through Kane Mitchell uh, and that brought the margin back to only two points. But there wasn't enough time. The Bombers would go on to hold on to win and um, yeah, that game uh, eventually would make the finals uh, thanks to the likes of Paul Chapman who had a really decent um, little go at Robbie Gray during the match. Um, yeah, if you have a chance, mate, have a look at that YouTube. He uh, squares up and Robbie Gray looks a bit scared at some point. Um, I think Chapman had those wild eyes when he got into little push and shoves and uh, yeah, Robbie Gray certainly looks... Um, yeah, uninterested in the contest, put it that way. Yeah, well, he was certainly a, uh, a fiery character, uh, chappy. Um, but yeah, looking at that game, geez, it was, you know, you'd say for both sides, they, they missed a lot of opportunities, like even that last quarter. Like, um, you know, I think Wingard had a couple of shots, um, you know, West off Gray. Uh, they really could have ripped the game out of their hands, but yeah, as you say, we were able to hold on, so... Yeah, was... yeah. Did you see uh, Port's scoreline? It yeah. was like ten goals, eighteen, or something like seven that. Seven goals, eighteen. It's uh... seven, eighteen. Yeah, that was crazy. Like I just remember, you know, feeling how lucky we were um, when they had all those opportunities to take the lead and just couldn't put them away. Yeah, so no, it's a great win, and yeah, always, always good to beat the uh, beat the power, mate. Definitely. Well, mate, we'll have a break and we'll come back with our bomber match prediction. We'll listen to the Don's cast as we wrap up the show. Uh, we'll yet again try for the trifecta. Um, mate, um, who's going to kick the first goal? Oh, look, I'm going to go whole hog, mate. Uh, Joe Danaher uh, to... To get a mark and, and kick a goal for us early, um, you know, I think we really need to get him involved early in the game uh, because we've certainly seen once he does get a run on, um, you know, he seems to really fire up. So I'm hoping he can kick our first. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, I'm going to go with AMT. I think uh, you know, if uh, AMT gets the same opportunities he did last week against Geelong, um, he'll certainly go back and he'll kick that goal. So yeah, AMT for me. Um, who's going to have the most disposals? Yeah, mate, I think it's always going to be, you know, between Sheil and Merritt and uh, Bugger. I'm I'm going to go Sheil again. I I think he's he's got to be due for a for a big game, and uh, yeah, let's let's hope he can uh, gather plenty of the pill uh, because you know certainly when we don't have have McGrath or uh, yeah, there's you know now that. There's no likelihood of a Heppel uh, coming back in there for quite some time. Um, hoping he can shoulder a lot of the load there. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, I can't go past Zach Merritt. He's in uh, you know, you know, such great form uh, in that real purple patch of finding the footy. Uh, hopefully he can kick it a bit more in this game and use it to our advantage. But yeah, Zach Merritt is um, definitely the player that I think will have the most possessions. Uh, and margin, mate, um, I dare say none of us are going to pick the Bombers today, but, um, yeah, what kind of margin do you think we're looking at? Oh, look, honestly, mate, uh, I can see this bit of a blowout, 50 points or so, you know, I think, 
you know, if if Dixon gets a hold of our, you know, pretty young backline, uh, if I'm honest, and certainly they'd be outsized uh, if we were to go with Zerk Thatcher on him. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's my my prediction. Unfortunately, mate, Port by fifty. How about yourself? Yeah, I, well, obviously, I think Port will win, but uh, one of the trends that the Bombers do is they generally cut back into the lead um, after being you know defeated early. So yeah, I'm going to go you know 35 points. You know, we'll probably be down at 50 points by half time, and um, we'll somehow you know, you know make it a bit more uh, reasonable in the second half. And if you listen to John Walsfold's, uh comments during the week. You know, we won that second half convincingly, <laughs> and you know, if we had it started well, um, who knows what could have happened in that result? But um, you know, he's always a glass full, um, half full uh, guy. That's for sure. If you listen to his presses, um, but he's the problem is it's uh, you know, you don't believe him, and um, you know, he says things that you know we've now grown to dismiss. So I'm kind of looking forward to the John Walsfold era at the Essendon Football Club ending, um, you know, despite the fact he came in under difficult circumstances. That was five years ago, and um, yeah, I'm ready for a new start. And I just hope Rutten and Carousella, uh have been held back this year through Walsfold or haven't felt comfortable taking over whilst he's there. And maybe we'll see a different Bombers next year. Uh, that's the only hope I have at the moment. But um, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, no doubt. And uh, we'll be there watching. And um, yeah, we'll see how we go. And regardless, we'll do our review shows. And no matter how painful it is, we'll be there. So um, yeah, for today, go Bombers. And uh, yeah, see you next year. Yeah, go Dons.